We've Got Issues Girl, a podcast for women who are curious about politics. My name is Carrie. My name is Skye. And welcome to day 114 of quarantine in February. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> At least it's good to see your face. I'm glad we're doing video now because I miss you so much. I know. I know. It's been, it's been rough. I keep, so I, I'll say more about this later in the show, but we did a little drive-by parade for David's sister's birthday on Sunday. And so we all met in our cars in a parking lot across the street from her neighborhood. And there was like 25 cars lined oh, up. Cool. And then we drove by with our, you know, signs. And it was so fun. And I haven't seen that many humans in months, Yeah, it feels like. I mean, it was yeah. why we all like social distance and but it was it was really powerful also. Yeah. How are you holding up? I'm okay. Oh, I had a rough week last week. You did. You were quiet. Cried and cried and cried. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just is a lot of feeling, man. It's a, it's overwhelming. I the thing that set me over the edge was thinking about not being able to hug my mom until July or something. Like that is terrifying. Yeah. And, and you are very much an extrovert. You are very much like love to be surrounded by people. And, um, and I, I noticed you got very quiet this week and I imagine that was because it, it, this is a struggle for all of us. And I was worried about you, but it's good to see your face. You too. And it was, I mean, it's fine. I'm fine. You know, I'm still able to work from home. I go in once or twice a week to the office and I don't really have to see any other humans. Um, I think we're going to start doing click lists so we don't have to go to the grocery store. I got my parents on click list or they're going to get on click list so they don't have to go to the store, um, which helps calm all of the other parts of anxiety that surround me. <laughs> and yeah. so I don't cry as much. Yeah. How are you doing? Um, I am not staying home. And so like it's this still this fluctuation of like, oh, I get to go out and work um, at this donation center to try to get, um, you know, donations for people in need or, or agencies in need and for our first responders. But then also this, every time I go in there, I'm like, I'm putting myself at risk and yeah. um, more and more people keep coming in to pick up supplies. And it's like, this feels very dangerous. On top of that, um, I've also been trying to help my uh, mother-in-law, my 81-year-old mother-in-law navigates um, Zoom and FaceTime and her cell phone and her iPad so she can feel connected because I think she is also very lonely in her retirement home or senior senior living home. So, um, you know, that's been hard to, I mean, I'm sort of teaching her technology through her front door because, you know, we yeah. can't like talk. And so it's, it's just like, oh man, that's it's rough. a logistical nightmare, honestly. <laughs> like it's so hard to do any of this anyways and then now with like social distancing and now we have to wear masks and it's um yeah it's it's not the the alone part for me is fine like because you right more, you love that <laughs> yeah I'm more of an introvert than you are and so I do like being a homebody and I do like um not having much to do or anywhere to go so I like that part but um just like the stress of trying to navigate everything. And, and when you do go outside feeling so guilty about it in a way, like I feel, I have a lot of guilt going to the grocery store, even though like I have to go to the grocery store, I won't eat. And I yeah. have, and I'm going for my mother-in-law too. So like we have to get her food too. So it's just, I don't know. It's like, 
it also feels like on social media, like you can't do anything right. Do you notice that? Like, it's like, it's, you post, somebody posts something and then automatically gets judgment for it. And it's like, right. like can can I just make my own decisions, please? I'm trying to be responsible here. I'm not going to party in Florida for spring break. Like I promise I'm not doing anything crazy, but like, let me try to navigate this the best I can. I have to work. Yeah. I have to be out in the community. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's a choice for me right now. So um, let's just all be like really kind to each other. And like, well, that's the thing I've been saying from the beginning is like, we need to be kind to each other. We need to be kind to ourselves. We are all in this, like we've clicked over to survival mode in our head and our hearts and our actions. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll say this. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. I, you know, I just want to protect my bubble, right? Like I want myself, my partner, my dog, my parents, my brother, his parents, like my, I want my bubble to be okay. And so anything that I can do to protect the people inside of my bubble, I'm going to do it. And if that means, you know, click list or shopping for people who I don't want to expose, you know, I shop for my parents and then I drop the groceries in their garage and they leave them in their garage for 48 hours. So the virus I, I don't know if that fucking works, but we're doing the best we can. Yeah. I mean, I guess like we dropped groceries off for my mother-in-law and it wasn't a lot because she gets a lot of her meals through the, the senior home. Thank mm-hmm. God. Um, but you know, there's still like snacks and stuff that you need and yeah. orange juice and all of that. So we dropped it off with our gloves and our masks on. And then we were like, wipe everything down before you put it in the fridge. And she's, she's a very stubborn 81. And so she always rolls her eyes at us when we try to tell her, it's like, we're not, we're not making up the rules here, man. Like this yeah. is, we're just trying to like keep everybody safe. Like, sorry, this yeah. is an inconvenience for everyone. You know what You're I mean? You're welcome. Like, we want you away. I know. And now this whole, like, so the CDC this week decided to finally recommend that we should wear fabric masks or some sort everybody, of Everybody, no matter whether you're sick or not. Right. Which, which is a, a, like a, total 180 because at first they said no masks don't don't matter so um I have a sewing machine and I've done like many sewing projects since we've been like self-quarantined because it's just a hobby I like but um so I'm I'm starting to make masks too um and so if I can do it in a like sanitary way I want to deliver masks to my friends because I'm trying to make like cute ones if I need one I have two masks I mean, they're not really cute, but, um, yeah, so I've been making masks. Um, there's a really great pattern on the New York times website. Um, but if you can't, if you don't have a sewing machine, you can't make a mask, don't have access to them. Um, the CDC also says like a scarf or bandana will work, um, just as well. However, the best thing to do though, still is just to stay home. Like wearing a mask is not an excuse just to go out and hang out with your friends. Um, it's still like, stay home. But if you can't stay home and you have to go out, wear a mask. So when I am at this donation center, I am, you know, we're, we're wearing masks. We're practicing social distance and, um, which makes it hard sometimes too. Cause even today I like noticed myself trying to like lean over a computer and then I was like, Oh wait, too close, too close. Like, it's just yeah, hard. Like, it's just hard. All you cut it. yourself. I was, so another thing, my parents are flourishing in this time of COVID actually. They're Your walking mom. the dog. Yeah. My mom lives for this. She just, yeah, she loves know, to stay home too. Loves to stay at home and be in her soft clothes. 
totally loves it. My dad, I thought, would be really struggling, but he's baking a lot, and they're taking uh, baked goods to, like, my mom's old office and dropping stuff off there, and, like, they drop it on the pylon and then walk away, and then someone comes up and gets the bag of cookies. <laughs> like, just, like, it's so sweet. But they, on Saturday, um, their whole neighborhood came out. So April 4th at 4 o'clock, they all came out of their houses, and they sang God Bless America. And it was just, a, you know, my dad is a singer. He's very loud. Yeah. And so the whole neighborhood, I went and listened. I just sat in my car and listened. But then you cried Barney, the whole time, their you? dog, I, cry, I wept the whole time. Of course I did. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> um, but then Barney got out of the house when my mom was trying to go back in for something. And he just comes straight up to me and jumps up to my chest, basically. And so you know, and I know the dogs can trans their little vectors, right? I don't know I if they can get sick yet, but we, I don't know. There's news about that too. But so, you know, I'm yelling at Barney, six feet, six feet. He doesn't know what he's doing. But it's just like, it's a funny thing. I yell at people in the grocery store to get six feet away from me. It's like turning into a monster. Yeah, no, it it is. It is. I mean, I, but I feel I'm turning into a monster too. So like I'm working in this donation center, trying to make sure that like people have access to face masks or, or gloves, or, I mean, we don't have any sanitizer, I feel like in the whole County. And so we're trying to get all these stuff, but then I'm reading reports that, so the federal government has this strategic national stockpile of goods. And apparently there are ventilators and masks and everything that we need in this stockpile. But, um, so the person in charge of this stockpile apparently now is, uh, Jared Kushner, who Stop. is the are you serious? son-in-law and senior advisor and probably has like no business running this during a pandemic, but also in the same sense, I feel like I have no business running this donation <laughs> center in a pandemic. Well, like, you're doing it for like the County, which is different. He's, doing it for the nation. I might have more skills than him. Actually, you I do. Have definitely more do. What am I? Yeah. Saying? You like, have an engineering degree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, but like <laughs> he's uh, whatever. So anyways, during an interview, he was like, oh no, the stockpile is not for States. And like what? people went crazy because apparently on this like stockpile web, well, apparently the stockpile has a website. I don't know. Um, apparently explicitly on there, it said, this is for like States during states of emergency and then he was like no 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 it's not for the states and so instead of then just saying like oh yeah i guess sorry we were wrong i guess it is for the states they changed the description on the web page oh my god so the states are not getting this and we're not getting the resources that we need and so now we have to create these donation centers in counties and ask basically we're asking you know area businesses that are like close so we're getting a lot of stuff from community colleges actually since um, you know, they're shut down for the semester and they don't need their cleaning supplies or bleach or wipes. And so we've gotten like some major donations from local community colleges, but Amazing. it's still like, what the hell is happening? Like, how do we not, how can we not get this from the federal government and how are, it feels like some states are getting more than others too, because I've also read that, um, governor DeSantis in Florida is getting everything he asked for, but like Michigan is not getting anything because the Michigan hotspot to the president. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, and it's just, it's wild to me that you can use this pandemic to like play for favorites and yeah. it just all goes back to, 
I mean, the top of the government, the president of the United States has fumbled this thing from the beginning. It's a terrible, it's a, going to be a terrible, ter terrible blemish on his presidency, but also like the entire history of the United States. And we're going to have so many more lives lost. Like it is, this is yeah. a tragedy and, um, and it's really sad, honestly. Yeah. It's, um, it's sad. My family lost a, a family friend um, this past week and it's, it's keeps feeling like it's inching closer and closer to home. Yeah. And it's, um, well, it's all because our federal government feeling. didn't react. Like, yeah. And, and because they're just completely bungling this and it's just this cons constant feeling of doom. Like it's, we're right on the edge, you know, of, of this chaos and it already feels chaotic and it, but it's like, I don't know. It's just constantly living in fear and that will take a toll, which is, yeah. you know, I'm my, my fear and my frustration and all of that manifests itself in tears. Not everybody deals with it that way. Yeah. I've had tears. I've had anger. I've had, um, I went through a weird stretch where I was like baking a thousand <laughs> things. Like, I don't know what, like when you talk about like fight or Go flight, like stretch. I don't know where that fits in i guess but you i was like baking like homemade thin mints homemade girl scout samoas pretzels um <laughs> cheese it's like i baked all these things i don't know Anything, that felt like that felt like a fight not a flight but whatever yeah. and so one of the things that did happen this week the um democratic national party uh pushed the convention back so it was supposed to happen in july and now it's going to happen about a month later in august which i think is good i guess but um you push it back so now it's uh we won't have a nominee technically until august so then they don't have a whole lot of time to campaign before november um i don't know it just feels weird plus like i i, we, I mean we know people that are going to the convention from our area and they yeah. they already had their hotels i mean hotels are were hard to find already because it's in milwaukee and it's just um you know, hard to kind of plan out. And so now they have to replan things. And I'm sure that was just a nightmare to reorganize. Um, but then where are the candidates right now? Like, I have know. you heard anything from Biden or Sanders? Like, I haven't no. heard. Well, they, I think I saw something from Sanders. I don't recently on Facebook. It's not it a lot like, though. Like they're not, a lot. I mean, obviously they can't do like town halls cause you can't have, but they could be doing some virtual stuff or they could at least be doing like virtual interviews or something. And I just feel like they're so quiet and I'm a little concerned cause they're both super old and old dudes. In the yeah. high risk category. And oh so maybe God. they are just self quarantined and away and minding their own business, I guess. But, um, I don't know. It's just kind of wild to think that this is an election year and like literally nothing is happening right now because this pandemic is like overshadowing everything. Well, and I mean, like we need to figure out that everything that we do and how we react and how we campaign is going to be different after this. I mean, there's just no way around it. Our lives are going to change so drastically once we come out the other side of this. I mean, I'm going to use this as an excuse to never hug creepy little guys in politics who constantly Ugh. try to hug me like creeps. That's I'm just going to be like, nope, bump my elbow. I don't want to hug you anymore. Oh my like, God. I never even think about that. That's a great idea. Cause that's like one of the things I hate the most about walking into uh, meetings at democratic party headquarters is all these old creeps always want to hug me. <laughs> like shake my hand. You should and Restart this. I have 
started just like putting my hand out and saying, I'm just going to shake your hand. And David uh, witnessed this one time when we were at an event and, and I won't name names, but he's, he, the guy who I was doing this to was like, Oh, we're not going to hug. And I was like, Nope, we're not going to hug today. I'll shake your hand. And so just like being blatant like that is sometimes what we have to do. Yeah, no, I actually, I did the same thing either last year. I mean, it wasn't during coronavirus. It was right after like Me Too sort of like Mm -hmm. peaked the Me Too movement. And so I stuck my hand out first and I've been doing that for a while. Mm -hmm. Like I can see them start to go in for the hug and then I stick my hand out. And so then we did this weird, awkward exchange of like, I had my hand out and then he went in for a hug and then he was like, uh, 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 and he, I'm not going to name names either, but maybe it's the same guy, but he literally said, Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to respond in the me too after the me too movement. I'm like, Oh my God, you don't know how to respond. Like, just don't hug me. You creep. But now treat me like the guy next to me whose hand you shook and you didn't creepily try to hug them. Treat me like that. I hate that. I hate that. No. Yeah. So maybe now we can use Corona finally in, Instead of calling men all, out all the time, which seems rather exhausting, we can just use coronavirus as an excuse yeah. to like, please don't touch me. Also, you're a creep, but yeah. also you might have coronavirus. Yeah. Or I might have it and I don't want to give it to you. So I don't, you know, I don't want to get you sick. Yeah. But also stop being a creep. Yes. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a quick break. And after the break, we're going to have council member... Liz Brown. I'm so excited. She's like Woman Crush Wednesday every day. Every day. Hey, everybody. We just want to take a quick minute to tell you all to stay home. Stop going to the grocery store. You don't need to. You don't need to go to Wendy's drive-thru to get a Frosty like my mother-in-law has done every night this week. Stay home. (laughs) Stay home, people. Stay home. You can read a book. You can watch a Netflix show. You can FaceTime your friend or Zoom call your friend. I've been coloring a lot. She has been I mean, I've been coloring... I've been coloring postcards and then writing postcards to my friends. It's kind of cathartic, actually. And, you know, I love getting ill. Write a letter. People Write love getting letter. ill. Yeah, write a letter. I mean, this is it's just a like little pal. house on the prairie right now. We can't leave our houses. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. Just stay home and get on the internet. <laughs> I love Little House on the Prairie. I'm going to reread that series. That's a, good, that's a good that's a good oh my god we're getting off the rails so welcome to the podcast council member liz brown from columbus thank you i'm excited can you introduce yourself a little bit sure yes um i am in my the beginning of my second term on columbus city council um, I first ran for office in 2015 and, um, now I serve as uh, president pro tem of Columbus city council, which is like a vice president position. Um, and I absolutely love it. Um, I feel really lucky to be able to do my job in a city that I love, you know, policymaking is kind of at its core problem solving. And so it's really stimulating work. Um, I also am a parent. My husband and I have two kids, a four and a half year old and my son who will be two one week from today. So 
He's not going to oh, have fine. maybe the second birthday that we had planned in quarantine, but he won't know the difference because kids when they're two are just like happy with something sweet to eat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's too bad. He can't have a, a regular birthday party since we can't leave, but yeah, we good. did for side side note. For my boyfriend's sister's birthday, she's like in her 40s, but still sort of sad when you have a birthday during this time. We did um, a drive-by parade. So like everybody from their church and my parents and her parents and their family came by and drove by and honked and sang happy birthday. It was really fun. That is awesome. I actually think it's way sadder not to have a 40th birthday party than a second birthday party. I think so too. Yeah. At all. Yeah. 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 (laughs) My niece turned um, yeah. six right at the beginning of quarantine, and my my sister had to cancel her party. It was much harder to to explain to a six year old that they had to you know cancel her party. So yeah. yeah, God, especially when they're like so excited about it and looking forward to it for so long. Yes, that's yeah. rough. We're all gonna it's, celebrate. At that age, lot. I feel like at that age, kids are like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so lucky! I have a birthday." You know, like yeah. their whole world changes on their birthday. <laughs> As they get older, they start to realize that like, oh, this thing happens yeah. every year. But like for kids, it's this once in a lifetime experience every year. <laughs> yeah. It's been forever since I had a birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get your start in politics? I know we worked together, kind of. I was a, um, a page in the state house and you were a legislative aide and then you were in policy after that, right? Yeah, I actually, no, I started at the State House. Um, well, I really kind of started in State House world because I ran a state rep race in 2008. Um, I moved back for, I was living in New York at the time, thought I wanted to work in journalism. And I was working at New York Magazine, which is a wonderful publication. And I enjoyed my time there, but it didn't, um, it didn't fulfill me in the way that I was looking for. So I took what I thought was going to be just a brief hiatus and um, moved back, stayed on my mom's, you know, in my mom's house um, and ran a state rep race in, 20, in 2008. And I sublet my apartment in New York. I fully expected to go back, but I was so energized by the work, um, just the, the pace of a campaign and um, like the scale of difference I felt we were making especially because that year we were, you know, trying to take the state house back for Democrats. So it, it really fulfilled me. And I think the way I, I couldn't quite put my finger on how I wanted to feel when I got up every morning, like that excitement. And then um, that experience on that campaign gave me that. So when we won, I applied for a job in the state house. And that's when you and I met, I was in the communications office for the state house because I had that background in communication right, and right. writing. Um, so that was really fun too. Those brief two years when Democrats were in the majority in the state. I know it's so bizarre. It's, it hasn't happened for a long time. Like, I mean, since then it was, it was a fun brief stint there for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, you know, I really kind of worked in politics, um, you know, campaigns, but then also in the government side of things back and forth. I got experience at the state party doing statewide races. And statewide races in Ohio are its just one of the most interesting places in the country to learn politics. You guys know this. Um, I feel lucky that I was born here. So it's, you know, it's sort of something I can naturally pursue. But 
There's no one way to win a statewide campaign in Ohio. There are like five states that exist here. You can't have just a big yeah. city strategy or just a mid-sized city strategy or just a rural strategy. You have to do all of it. And as Democrats, we really have to mine every vote from every kind of family in every corner of the state. So I, I relished that um, experience on campaigns. Ultimately, it kind of took me back into working at the local level. Um, I worked in um, city government in the development department um, before I ran for office. And I fell in love with local government and the impact you make in people's daily lives. There's my husband. that is so powerful and that like trajectory it feels like just a recipe for like the leslie nopes of the world right like you learn from doing that work on the other side of things and then you're prepared to run for office Mm -hmm. yeah you've got that internal knowledge um what was it like doing all of that work and being in this world of politics as a female candidate and now council member Well, um, I ran initially under unique circumstances. Um, I was seven months pregnant when I got onto the ballot in 2015. We'd had an incumbent Democrat drop um, out of the race and resign from her seat um, for kind of personal reasons. And so there was, um, there were 85 days left in the campaign. And if another Democrat didn't get in, Democrats would be forfeiting the seat. So I put my hat in the ring. I was seven months pregnant. I had like 24 hours to make this decision. Had to quit my job in order to run. My job was my health insurance. My my husband's in my health insurance. So we had to get on his company's health insurance, which fortunately, because of the ACA, they weren't allowed to discriminate against my pregnancy as a pre-existing condition. Um, So that really did give us options. Um, So we were able to to get that health insurance um, and mount a campaign. My daughter was born two and a half weeks before election day. Weirdest GOTV experience of my life. <laughs> I'm trying to picture like, you maybe phone banking, but like canvassing, going to forums. I imagine those yeah. were like, I mean, uh, hey, I was memorable, right? I was the pregnant lady on the trail. So I had that going for me. Um, yeah, for and- sure. Yeah. But the, the, the GOTV period, like between when my daughter was born and election day, I had, you know, raised the money that I needed to. And, you know, I, because I'd been around campaigns before, frankly, that's what gave me the confidence to do it is because I I knew what I needed to do to plan to have enough like momentum to execute without being on the campaign trail 24 hours a day, because I wasn't going to do that to myself, our new daughter. Um, But I made a couple silly decisions during that time. I, I had RSVP'd yes to a candidate forum. This only like an hour long. I was like, oh, I can do this three days postpartum. Oh. Um, I, decided, I decided I should go because I knew the people who organized it. And I was like, I want to be, you know, someone of my word. And I got there and, you know, walked into the, they have it set up in these field races. You know, you have like 10 candidates behind a table. I walk in and I see that we have wooden chairs. Oh. Wooden chairs. So I mean, I'm still bleeding, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, three days after you have a child, you are dealing with all those physical side effects. So I was not pleased to see the wooden chair. Um, it was highly uncomfortable. I made it through about 40, 45 minutes, and I had it. I had my phone next to me. I got a text from my husband that was like, "I haven't been able to get her to stop crying. I think she's really hungry." 
those be first days, you know, you're really kind of round the clock feeding whenever your baby needs it, you got to be there. Um, so I left immediately and that was that like in the middle of a question, you know, and I asked my colleague next to me to just share my regrets, but oh, man. I mean, I reevaluated after that. Right. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, it, but it was, it was a, um, it was one of those, you know, when you're a first time parent, you don't, you don't know what you're doing. You're just muddling through and, uh, you know, I got that. Well, and you were a first time candidate too. First time so candidate, like- yes, all of the above. I, I just, it was hard to prioritize and just to like, kind of put, put my, like, listen to my gut instinct. I guess sure. that's something you have to learn as a candidate. Sometimes your gut instinct is really on point and I shouldn't have gone, but. Yeah. But I think your, your example, um, and you've done some other things, um, as a, as a council member too, that have um, been leading by example shows, I think, I think women, particularly mothers often think, oh, I can't run for office because I'm pregnant or because I'm this, or because my kids are too young. And that's often not an excuse, but it's a reason that women, it's a, it's a hurdle that women think that they have. And I think that seeing you do it, I mean, might inspire another woman to, to think, okay, like as long as I, you know, can, I have a supportive spouse or I have a supportive family, um, you know, there are ways to do this and I shouldn't just like totally take this off the table just because of X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's dead on. That's one of the reasons I try to have my kids present in a lot of the things that Mm -hmm. I do. Because, you know, it, and it doesn't work for every woman. And I wouldn't want to say to somebody, well, I did it. So that means you can, because everyone's lives are different. But the fact of the matter is women across the country are juggling more than they think they can handle, right? Women are doing more in 24 hours than men every single day of the year. And I think sometimes women don't see that, okay, I, I've been... You know, I'm a teacher, I'm running like a sewing business on the side through Etsy, and I'm raising three children, you know, but I'm not fit to run for office. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you are so fit to run for office. And that's, that's what like women kind of bring their whole selves and their motherhood to a lot of the things that they do, but feel that elected office isn't one of the places where that's welcome. And the more women who run with children, um, the more that we're shifting that paradigm and demonstrating it's, it, it, we have to have the welcome sign for everyone or we're never going to get like a better set of policies in place in this country. Yeah. Absolutely. We talked about this so much when Carrie ran last year was women often feel like they just need to be 100% knowledgeable and perfectly intelligent about every single subject in order to speak on it. Whereas men wake up and they're like, hmm, I feel like running for office today. Let's just, I'll just do it. Yeah, I can You know, do we that. have this pressure on ourselves from society and, and you're right. I mean, all those little things that you do in your life train you for this moment. We're ready, yeah. we're ready to do it, run for office. Yeah. It, and it's just getting out there and, and talking about it. And Carrie, you probably also confronted the, um, the sometimes people want to, acknowledge the authority of women, but only on women's issues, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're in this place where you have to delicately balance um, caring about women's issues and centering women's issues because somebody's gotta, Mm -hmm. but then also not being siloed into like an interest group, 
women exactly. are population, yeah. not an interest group, right? And when when you're talking about these like larger economic development issues, mm-hmm. that's a woman's issue too. How exactly. do we like pull that back? And I'm sure you confronted that on the campaign trail. I did, yeah. And that's another reason for this podcast too, is because mm-hmm. when when we hear women's issues, we all automatically think, you know, reproductive rights and childcare and 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 motherhood. Um, but we I mean, everything is a, is a woman's issue, like, like those big economic development projects and like, um, you know, potholes, it, you know, everything that, that a city government does and municipality does is a women's issue. I mean, we don't have to just be, yes, women's issues are important, but like, I, I hate being pigeonholed just into that one thing because I can talk about patching potholes too, you know, like I, it's not, I, I can't, it's, I'm not limited just to talking about abortion, Right. Right. And it's not just a cute turn of phrase that every issue is a women's issue. Like it's critical to the policymaking process. I I heard a story on NPR um, several months ago now about how um, many even progressive countries, their transit, like they were talking about sexist data, racist and sexist data. Um, And that's not just like we don't track the racial disparity in, in maternal morbidity rates, right? It's also, they were giving the example that transit systems are based around typical male travel patterns in nations, like let alone cities, but in nations like Denmark. And their, their point was that that's a problem for everyone because it means that women can't move as efficiently around. So male data is like home to work, work to home, whereas women are typically doing like uh, home to, to children's school, to work, to errand, to school, to errand, to home. Yeah. And that matters when we design systems to think yes. about how men and women use those systems. So it really is true that every women's is a, every issue is a women's issue, and we have to like assert that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Totally. I. I'm. It's so amazing to hear about all of the work that you're doing. Um, before we get too much further into that, because I'm so excited to hear about all the legislation that you're working on. Okay. How are you? dealing with this new reality that we are living in the world of COVID. It sounds like you, your council meetings have moved mm-hmm. to Zoom or to virtual. Like how is all that working? Yeah. So we, a couple, a couple different things. So our first council meeting after the governor's um, closure of schools, right? When like social distancing um, was very um, aggr- like aggressively pushed on folks. He hadn't done the stay at home order, but he was telling people, if you care about your community, you need to stay home. So that meeting was March 16th. We held it virtually through like a city hall, like WebEx program through our Outlook, but we held it virtually. So it was televised. What viewers, we have Columbus Television, um, what viewers could see on their TV was the same thing that I could see on my computer. Um, and we, that's how we conducted the meeting. We then broke for a few weeks because the mayor issued, um, his public health emergency declaration, state of emergency declaration. So he has typical fiscal powers that are fiscal powers, excuse me, that council typically has. And, um, therefore our need to meet has been lowered, Um, We will begin the legislative calendar again on April 20th, um, but the state of emergency will still be in place, so there will be less on our docket. In the meantime, we are doing weekly, as of now, 
town hall meetings where all of council gets on and we take questions online from people about the um, pandemic and Columbus's response. Um, we had hundreds of people tune into the first one and fielded like upwards of 60 questions individually. Not all of them could be fielded um, you know, online. Some of them were done through follow-up with our offices. But it's a pretty robust um, operation to try to keep those lines of communication open. And, you know, my, I mean, the same way that Russell was doing at the beginning of, of this, you know, he climbed up on my lap in the beginning of the town hall meeting, the clip that um, Channel 6, I think, ran um, of the meeting had like Russell in the screen doing this, you know, and waving. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a very different way of doing business. And we're constantly reacclimating. Yeah, absolutely. And what an interesting time to figure out how, you know, your relationships are with each other and then your relationship with the administration and then your relationship with the public. I mean, what an uh, unique time to evolve that relationship in different ways. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Traditional roles have been upended, I think, in many governments, um, local and state. Um, and so we don't have, again, those um, traditional fiscal powers that council has. Um, we are rapidly just trying to get resources to people. Um, so I, I find that I'm really, I'm checking my social media accounts like my emails you know like what's coming in what do i need to push out to the right department to get this person connected how do we publish a resource guide my colleague rob dorans published a um, how to apply for unemployment resource guide for people who have are going through it for the first time um, and you know it's not some official jfs publication but it's just the hard work of him and his team to say here are some of the pain points let's counsel people through it yeah, I'm in the same boat. I work for the city of Toledo and I am, uh, I mean, it's not my regular job, but all of a sudden I'm thrown into this new project of I'm um, managing the donation center for the county. And so all PPE, all bleach, all, you know, whatever anyone needs is kind of being donated to this warehouse. Um, and so I'm trying to kind of navigate like our inventory and who we push it out to and prioritizing like senior centers over homelessness, homeless shelters and like who gets what first. And, um, it's kind of a logistical nightmare, honestly, like to try to like rapidly get this stuff out and, and to serve the community in, in a crisis like this, I was not prepared. And it's, um, it's sort of one of those like learn on your feet, Mm -hmm. just just help as many people as you can kind of thing like pitch in where you see the need and just yeah. go right yeah. yeah absolutely yeah it's amazing and then doing all of this work some most of the time from home and you have two children and you're trying to navigate like meetings and they're still living their lives and getting sick like normal kids do you know and so navigating that whole world is just it's interesting. And, and you and Carolyn did your first TikTok this week, I saw. <laughs> we did. We did. I am a neophyte on TikTok. <laughs> I do not know what Carrie I Carrie is desperate to get famous on TikTok. So any tips I would be I started one too. And so I, but I started one in this warehouse that I'm working in for this donation center. So I'm also like, every time I post a little video, I try to like pitch the website too. So pe more people can donate yeah. goods, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. Honestly. It is fun. I find it really hard though. Like I have not 
I think I have to spend more time on the, the platform watching videos to understand the different ways to really use it. Um, I am a Bill Withers fan. I mean, I'm, I'm not like, I don't know his whole opus, but I, you know, certain songs of his like lovely day and, um, when I heard he died that day and Carolyn and I had just been listening to one of his songs. So he died last Thursday, he passed away. Um, and so we were inspired to do our first TikTok in honor of Bill Withers. That's sweet. Um, it was it. really not That's a masterpiece in any it. way, but <laughs> we did what we could. <laughs> it was so cute. I don't know so why cute. I came across it on your Twitter or something. I don't know. It was funny. Well, you know what I'm um, super intimidated by? Carrie, have you done the, um, the Can't Touch This Challenge, Hit Every Beat? Have you seen this no. one? No. Is it that the with the hands? Yeah. Oh, that one. No, I have not. No. So my, one of my colleagues did like a can't touch this challenge to all of us to do it. Like she did it. And then she was like challenging each of us by name to go and do it. And it's been like four days and I'm terrified. And <laughs> I do not like leaving a challenge out there on the table, but I also do not want to look a fool. So I'm it's haunting <laughs> trying you. to yeah. figure out the next step. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's hilarious I love it well you besides all of this like fun stuff you do a lot of really serious really important work what was one of the first pieces of legislation that you worked on when you got on council in 2015 um so I really my my first major um legislative uh push my first bill that I introduced was an ordinance that I introduced was um, a, a new law to try to protect patients and um, escorts and clinic, clinic workers outside of reproductive health clinics. So we have two in Columbus and um, there was a woman who'd been advocating at the state level for an ordinance that tried to crack down on this harassment and obviously wasn't getting anywhere. I think she did get a bill in introduced by a Democrat, but that wasn't going anywhere. So we, I knew her from some kind of, you know, just pro-choice community stuff. And um, we realized that we could not do everything the state could do in regards to this issue, but we could do some like limited steps forward in the city of Columbus. So to, what we did was um, make harassment outside of these health clinics have a stiffer penalty. Um, so we just tried to crack down on that and try to make people feel safer and preserve access. It was um, a very difficult issue to kind of cho choose as my first one. I had not led a legislative process prior to that. Um, it was in the first half of my first year on council that we did it. The public hearing process um, the sort of constituent emails that we received. I mean, there was a lot of hate, there was a lot of vitriol um, from uh, anti-choice people. There was um, a woman uh, who, you know, posted pictures of uh, my daughter, you know, about how telling people that, you know, I'm evil. And I think that the, the anti-choice community can't understand like mothers, who are pro-choice, like there's like a, I don't know, special evil or something that like, it, when in fact going through pregnancy and having a child, I think only strengthens your conviction of the importance of women's mm -hmm. choices. So we were, we 
went through a lot. And I frankly, I put my colleagues through a lot because they got barraged with all this too. And no, it, we hadn't, an issue like this hadn't really occurred in council before, like straight on taking um, this choice issue up, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so we made it through, um, the, the vote was unanimous. We passed the ordinance unanimously, which was great. And I will say that the anti-choice crowd that was coming after the, us, I think one of the emails that I got back then was a resident of the city of Columbus. Most of the people who were writing in like weren't even residents of Franklin County. And it, it just drove me crazy. And I met with everyone who asked, who said they wanted a meeting. And, um, you know, they video recorded me to try to play gotcha. It was oh, yeah. trial by fire, but I'm really glad we did it. That's amazing. Nick Comives, I think... Mm -hmm. Um, worked with you to sort of get some of that language so we could try to pass an ordinance like that here in Toledo at the time I was working at the abortion clinic. And the hearing, just the informational hearing that city council had was packed, like standing room only. My dad got <laughs> escorted out by the police because he stood up and tried to like, you know, get people it. to say they're supportive. It's, you know, it was something. And we didn't, you know, he, we didn't have the support, so we didn't move it forward. Um, well, good it for was him hard. For it was tough. And for raising it. I mean, there, I think one of the challenges of being a local government official is there are legitimately some issues that we can't, um, we can't control. We can't control school funding at the state house. Um, we can't control, uh, you know, abortion clinic regulations that the right passes at the state house. There are lots of issues that feel frustrating in that way. But what I liked about doing this at the local level and what Nick should feel really proud of is at least opening up the conversation that yes, we can't solve the whole problem, but what are the things we can do to, to at least make it a little better, right? And like yeah. demonstrate that we have ownership too here. Um, and, and we can't always just like shift blame to other pieces of government. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys, um, you work with jurisdictions around the state, whether it's the, you know, city commission in Dayton or city council in Cleveland. Um, but I know Nick has taken a lot from colleagues around the state uh, and, and, you know, lead by that example. You don't need to reinvent the wheel every time you want to pass some kind of legislation at the local level. Um, what is some of the stuff that you're working on now that you're excited about? Oh boy, like through the coronavirus fog, I can barely remember, um, but, but I do remember. So I, honestly though, I mean, if I'm, if I'm fully blunt right now, like I am nervous about how things look on the other side of this pandemic. And um, I'm, I don't know what it's gonna be like to govern. We are in response mode right now and Carrie, just as you were really poignantly detailing, like this is hot and heavy response mode. We are trying to save lives. We're trying to get people over this like particularly low hump. We don't know yet what that's gonna look like for budgets. And we don't know yet the extent of suffering. The suffering from death and then the suffering from, you know, a, a dangerous economic upheaval. So on the other side of all this, I, I'm going to have to, you know, personally, and then our sort of body of government and city hall, we're going to have to readjust our thinking on, mm -hmm. 
you know, what we do over these next couple of years to try to get families back on their feet. Uh, the, you know, the vulnerability that, that so many of us feel is not new to many families in our city. Right. I mean, one in three families in Columbus are economically insecure uh, before the crisis. And so many people, this this, you know, lack of child care, um, uncertain access to food, navigating um, complicated government assistance programs like that reality that many of us are in now is the reality many of many people experienced before this. But it will be multiple times over numbers of families who are hurting after this. So with that, you know, very real caveat, the work I have been so um, uh, really dedicated towards in this year um, kind of starts with access to early childhood education. Um, I, that is foundational work that should continue in any economic climate. Um, the fact that many families are asked to, to basically pay a college bill um, in childcare, right, before their children ever go to school, but it's this like silent bleeding on family finances every year. Or children are sent to, you know, more low cost programs where they can't get that level of education. Teachers are underpaid, way underpaid. And we don't call them teachers, right? We call them childcare workers or babysitters. And, and no, they're teachers at that age. We should train them and we should pay them. There are all these things that need to change about the system. And I think in an economic downturn, it's probably needed more than ever. But the problem comes with how to pay for it. And in a good economy, you can think of more, there are more opportunities to think about how to pay for these systems and to get voters to think about how to pay for these systems. In a poor economy, that gets harder. Um, so the task is taller, but that's a conversation I wanna continue um, to push. And even regardless of a poor economy, when we come out of this, don't you think that this virus is going to kind of change some priorities and maybe like I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, and I almost feel like as a whole, we might be pushed more to the left, especially regarding like paying teachers more because I continue to see uh, mostly women on social media about like, how am I supposed to educate my kids and work from home and do all these things like God bless the teachers like I would like where are the teachers? We need them to come back. And like, you keep hearing, seeing these cry for help. So it's almost like this virus, like unfortunately might push us to offer more in healthcare or pay our teachers more because now we're finally realizing that. Um, and we have essential workers working in grocery stores that are only making minimum wage, but now they have to go to work because this is an essential business. It's like, it's almost like eye opening in a way. It's like, um, oh, we should have been like, we should have already been doing all of these things, but it took a pandemic yeah. to kind of like jolt us into shape, I guess. Yes. Yes. That is so exactly right. And I, I mean, you look at what the feds, like what the federal government passed in the CARES Act, um, you know, their most recent um, stimulus for COVID and paid sick leave, right? broader access, like an expansion of paid family leave, um, unemployment insurance that is extended to gig workers, like gig economy workers, mm -hmm. um, which before somehow like we all thought that the family's incomes didn't come from that. Well, yeah. they do and they rely on it, right? So all of these kind of hallmarks of the progressive platform were actually passed under limited, you know, limited in nature in the CARES Act. And I really agree that my hope is 
somehow that changes the psychology of this country to understand the more we invest in that rising tide, the more our boats are going to be lifted. Um, and, and policymakers, you know, it's on us to try to be like at the front of that curve. Too often policymakers kind of lag public opinion and we need to look for opportunities to lead public opinion um, and get people committed to those values you were just talking about. Yeah. Another, I mean, another weird outcome that is going to happen from this. It's just, it's funny what we're learning every day about ourselves and our relationships. And it's pretty interesting. It is. And, you know, the other thing is, like, it is a fact of American history that we have never paid truly essential workers what they're worth. Right. I mean, you look back over time and the very people who enable the wealth of our economy have never really been paid what they're worth. The union movement started to try to kind of help help correct that um, and led to the booming middle class. But there have been all kinds of ways that union rights have been curtailed over the last 50 years or more um, that have then chipped away at the, that kind of fabric being sewn. And um, I think that I want to be optimistic about how we can lead to a more progressive place. But one of the things that makes me just wary of, of believing my own hype about that is that it's a, it's a hallmark of U.S. history that um, we, you know, we, we look to the market to quote value um, our, you know, our workers and they place the wrong value. Um, yeah. In Ohio, food service and preparation workers are the, it's the largest occupation, food service and preparation, and the median wage is 931. And who are the people that we're looking at right now to keep all of us like safely in our homes and fed and providing for our families, food service workers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And others, like others too, but you know, that's one major sector that's allowing us all to be able to subsist right now. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think is up next for you? I mean, we get through this, you know, insanity and, and I feel like everybody's just in survival mode at this point because we have to be, but there is another, there is an, an, an other side of this, you know? And so thinking about um, that, what do you think you're going to be up to next? You, are you on council for a while? Oh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, as I said in the beginning, like, I love this job. Um, city council is, is, it's really cool because you're also like, you're so close to your community. There's no kind of like going to the state house where like yeah. everyone is like traveling from their districts to a place. Um, you're like in it with everyone all the time. So I love that aspect of local government. Um, I'm really committed to the work. I, um, I want to, you know, I'm very serious about policymaking being a career. So I don't think I'll be on city council for 40 years, but um, I have no great answers for what comes next. In part because like, I don't even know what I'm feeding my kids for dinner um, tonight. <laughs> I'm like very step-by-step -step approach at this moment. Um, and to be honest, kids have a lot to do with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I do think that being a parent like can absolutely fit with elected official life, but not all types of being an elected official allow me to be as present with my children as I want to be. And that's the balance that I 
must obsessively strike um, if I'm going to have the kind of like happy life that selfishly I want to have. So, hey man, it's not selfish. I'm I, I'm telling you at this point, like I'm probably making a lot of decisions that seem selfish, but I'm also just trying to survive and like keep my bubble safe of my family and my partner and my dog and you know. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. You, gotta, you gotta be real about it. You do for sure. Yes. Absolutely do. Um, but I do know that like we need more progressive. I'm all about supporting progressive candidates. Like if I'm, you know, I'll, I'll run for something else at some point. But like until that time and during that time too, like I'm all about just supporting more progressive people running so that we can do exactly what you were just talking about, which is like move the needle more to a more progressive um, kind of governance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so cool. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Do you have maybe a call to action for folks and how can folks support you in the work that you do? Sure. Well, you can follow me on, um, uh, any of my social platforms. Um, my including TikTok now folks, including TikTok. Yes. Yes. My existential, uh, question is like, is my name Elizabeth or Liz? I have like <laughs> no consistency in any of my platforms. So on Facebook, you will find me as like Elizabeth Brown. On Twitter, you will find me as at Liz for us. On Instagram, I'm Liz Clark Brown. I mean, there's no consistency. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but please, you know, follow me if you want to stay up to date on things. I have... Um, a whole host of priorities in city council that really center women and families. Um, but also I try to make like common sense economic issues about how we're lifting up um, uh, working families too. So we do a lot on wages. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of the year, no matter what COVID brings, really centering families and, and, and people who are affected, right? The human people, not the company, the business, the corporation. It's what are humans getting out of this? Um, how are people benefiting or not? So please follow me um, if you if you want to hear about that. Um, Liz Clark Brown on Instagram, Liz for us on Twitter, and Elizabeth Brown on Facebook. And then my call to action um, is a pretty simple one, and it is to stay home. You know, if any of your listeners are not yet staying home, please stay home. Um, thank you to those of you who are. I know that you know it's critically important and it doesn't feel like an act of greatness to do it it's so simple but it's an act of great compassion you are protecting your community by staying home so please stay home and while you're doing that think about an, someone who's by themselves an elderly neighbor um, you know a, a single person who maybe is is unemployed and think about ways you can support him or her I saw um, two children give a front porch concert to a woman in her 90s um, in a neighborhood north of mine. And I think that must have made her weak. And I would love for all of us to think about what kind of front porch concerts we can give right now um, to those whom we know or don't know, but know may need us. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to council member Liz Brown for joining us. Make sure to join us next Tuesday for a brand new episode of We've Got Issues, Girl. Please don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe. 
follow us on Facebook at We've Got Issues Girl and on Twitter at We Got Issues Pod. Send us your questions. We'd love to answer your questions on our next episode. This has been a Girls Girls Media production. Our music today is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Stay at home, everyone. Wash your hands. Stay at home. Thank you. Thank you.